Welcome to Ikigai Intelligence, a podcast series at the intersection of emotional intelligence, purpose-driven change management, and strengths-based positive psychology. I'm Sam Yushio. And I'm Josina Garnum. And today we're talking a bit about self-management. Um, so we have spent time building self-awareness, and now we're ready to turn our attention to how we're going to show up perhaps differently in our interactions with other people. This is, uh, I think, my favorite quadrant of the four quadrants, or I have a tendency to try to steer things into this quadrant. So I'm excited about this quadrant. Uh, just as a reminder, we hit three topics. What is uh, self-management? Why is self-management important? And then an idea or two on how you can implement self-management techniques. So uh, Josina, can you just frame self-management in terms of what how you would define self self-management? Yeah. So ultimately, you know, we're we're taking some of the data, as it were, uh, from our self-awareness, right? Accurately assessing what emotions that we have, and then we're using that information to regulate our emotions, right? Um, we're not letting our um, kind of amygdalas, the the uh, part of our brain that governs our fight, flight, or freeze response and our limbic system, which is also part of our um, emotion system, we're not letting that kind of rough, run roughshod over our relationships, right? We're, we're um, regulating ourselves, again, to be more effective uh, with, with other people. And so why is that important? Um, of course, it's absolutely critical that we manage ourselves well um, in order to have relationships at all, both personal and and professional, um, and and ultimately, you know, when we look at um, some of the the research around self management or self regulation, um, it also points to some pretty compelling information about um, when individuals manage themselves well. It's actually a differentiator, a, a key to lifelong success. Um, there's some interesting research that I think has become quite popular uh, from Walter Mischel around a marshmallow test. Is, are you familiar mm -hmm. with that? I love the marshmallow test. Yeah, back in the 70s, um, this gentleman, Walter Mischel, was looking at um, impulse control with young kids. And so he would put a marshmallow out on a, a plate and uh, these children were told if you you can eat the marshmallow now or you can wait five minutes and then you can get two marshmallows and um, he then the researcher would then step out of the room and video cameras would be rolling uh, to watch the behaviors of some of these children and you can you can uh, look this up on YouTube the study has been replicated a number of times and there's some very funny videos. But if you can picture, well, picture yourself. Well, what would you do, Sam, given this delightful choice of one marshmallow now or two in the future? Uh, well, I hopefully would, would wait for the two in the future. I don't love marshmallows that much that I would have to eat the, the marshmallow. So I do have some governance over my marshmallow intake. Um, <laughs> You're also a grown up and not five. I, that, that, that's true. <laughs> so that's you've true. developed some emotional self-regulation over the years as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I've seen parallels with the marshmallow test and addiction to phones, right? Right, exactly. 
so you know, here um, you you can observe these kids who are picking up the marshmallow and smelling it, and you know, some instantly just eat it, and others, you know, they're they're um, really savoring it, and then they put their hand, they sit down on top of their hands, and they're resisting, um, you know, the, this temptation, and that is interesting in and of itself, but ultimately. Um, Dr. Mitchell tracked these people over the course of 20 years or so, and sure enough, discovered this fascinating correlation that those who were able to exhibit impulse control, um, actually by any number of fairly objective measures in terms of salary, um, position in life, et cetera, um, ended up being more successful. And so, um, you know, this this gives us an indicator that when we are demonstrating effective emotional regulation, impulse control, and that includes, you know, how we interact with other people, it's it's a pretty significant indicator for uh, lifelong success. Yes, yeah, so we have unpack that a little bit and tie it to self awareness, the first quadrant, right? So the child is sitting there, and from a physiological perspective, they're their mouth is probably watering because they can, they're smelling it, smelling the, uh, the marshmallow. Um, and so they have that physiological response. They're having this awareness component or the opportunity for awareness mm-hmm. and then moving into management. It's I eat it or I don't eat it, or I try to find ways to kind of scratch the itch, um, without eating the marshmallow. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does this relate to uh, adults um, in the workplace in particular? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, right. And I'd love to actually share a little story um, that, that might help, you know, bring that to life a little bit better. Um, and again, just for the record, even though, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by emotional intelligence and have um, studied this um, and deliver workshops on this topic, you know, now for quite, quite a number of years, that still does not mean that I don't get caught <laughs> in my own thinking and emotions. Um, but anyway, I will share a story with you about uh, kind of how emotional intelligence comes into play for me in, at, at work. Um, I had a, a colleague who uh, we continually had some tension and conflict Um just different understandings of what our expectations were and our roles on, on a, a project. But we did have to work together for a, a long period of time. And we had one particular meeting where, um, you know, I perceived that he had really exploded at, at me when I had shared what I thought was some really good, good news. Um, and so, whew, I, in that moment, I was noticing that my stomach was very queasy, my heart rate was changing, and suddenly I was like not able to think clearly. Um, and, you know, honestly, kind of felt like I might be on the verge of tears. <laughs> my, my emotional system was overwhelmed. Fortunately, I had a very thoughtful and emotionally intelligent colleague who's also in that meeting, and he stepped in and kind of took the lead of bridging, bridging the gap to a, to the next part of the conversation, just allowing me to have that sense of self-regulation, like, whew, I could catch a breath, bring things back down to a state of calm for, for me. Um, and then I could respond, you know, more proactively in, in that meeting. 
With that said, um, that was, you know, not, not the greatest meeting. And what I found later on, as I was invited to go up to this uh, colleague's office for further conversations, that just the act of going up to have another conversation with this individual put me into uh, an emotional state. And so truth be told, <laughs> in order to manage myself more effectively, you know, I would climb the stairs and be kind of out of breath anyway to get to, um, to, to his office. And what I would always do is just budget a couple extra minutes to go into the bathroom, which happened mm-hmm. to be conveniently across the hall from his office, and just take a moment or two to take some breaths and feel really centered. And in turn, if a meeting felt like it was getting a little tense or a little challenging for me, just really focusing on remembering to breathe, um, taking those breaths so that I could feel like I was in a centered and calm place um, and could respond more effectively rather than kind of feeling like I was being hijacked by my by emotions. I don't know if that helps <laughs> in terms no, that's, of workplace context. Yes, yes, that's outstanding. Is there, so when in moments like that, or in that moment in particular, when you you've identified um, a challenging scenario, you're building practices so that you can navigate that scenario in that moment. So the couple minutes in advance of going into the office, taking that breath, um, in addition to getting uh, centered, are there other techniques that you were deploying to help help you center. So you're, you're kind of getting the mind body in alignment, right? So that you're get your executive functions are coming into the driver's seat, not the emotional functions. So you're getting that in alignment, but is there uh, a, a mantra, a statement, a set of values? Are there things that you're leveraging within that moment so that you can go in on your front foot rather than just go in neutral? Yeah. Great question. You know, and, and honestly with this person, we worked together for a number of years and um, one of the more powerful things that I think helped me was a sense of reappraisal or reevaluating our situation. And so I would go into those meetings keeping front of mind that we did have a common purpose. Um, we had a shared goal, you know, that we were, we were driving towards different ways and th- thoughts about how to, reach that goal. And that's where maybe we had some tensions, but I, I changed my thinking about this person. Um, I don't know if they changed their thinking about me, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. that I cannot control. Um, but one thing that I just always kept, particularly with that, um, more contentious relationship front of mine was, um, you know, the notion that, that, I can't control the other person. The only thing I can control is myself and I can control how I respond. Um, and I can control my, my thinking about that person. And so when I shifted my thinking um, from, you know, th- this is an individual where we just constantly have conflict to, okay, we, we have a shared goal. Um, we have a common purpose. What is it that we can do to, try to um, reach agreement in, in, in achieving that. That's a great example. That's a great example. Um, so in that example, it's pretty evident why it's important, right? Because the relationships are at the center of, 
productive organizations. Um, so if, you know, ultimately if the goal is to at a minimum find neutral ground, mm-hmm. how can you leverage both awareness and management to find neutral ground under a framework of common purpose and then potentially even just expanding the view on like zooming out uh, on the the conflict. Right. Right. Or expanding the view on the other person where finding common ground with that person in terms of common purpose on the topic, but also potentially other elements of life where you have things in common. We're both parents. We're both Mm -hmm. managers. We're both right. Like those techniques can potentially start to minimize some of the friction. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, again, that, that power of reappraisal or kind of changing our thinking. Um, we constantly have this narrative going on that includes oftentimes judgment of other people. And, you know, when we can intentionally shift some of that thinking, um, you know, that, that helps us to be better equipped for, you know, managing those conversations in the future. The other part of that self-talk piece or the kind of narration that we have um, can also include how the word I would use is hooked. How kind of caught am I going to get into this uh, emotion reaction, right? Am I going to, you know, in that first example, just really become overcome with emotion and burst into tears and whatever else, Um, you know, or am I going to say, okay, I'm, I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to let this go. I'm going to not try to let it uh, impact me in, in quite this way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so implementation tools and techniques. Uh, so I've, I've, you know, I've got one, what that's focused on values, just naming your values. Uh, when I talk about purpose-driven change management, the starting point, on that journey is identifying your core values that are central to who you are and who you want to be. Uh, so if you have that moment of self-awareness, it's that opportunity to kind of check in. And in terms of self-management, it's, you know, I, uh, identifying those values before you take that action to make sure that that action is in alignment with those values. And then the other side of it is, strengths, right? If you've gone through the process of identifying your strengths, how do you claim those strengths so that you can maximize that action uh, relative to the talents that are implicit uh, inside of you? Um, So those are two uh, techniques that can be implemented. How about ideas for implementation over there? Yeah, certainly, um, you know, I guess in that metacognition space, right? Um, thinking about your values, your strengths, again, thinking about shifting your thinking, reappraising a situation, important. But really in the moment, your most valuable asset is going to remember to practice some mindfulness, right? And and another way of thinking about that is just breathing. Um, oftentimes when we are in tense or anxious situations, we, we actually have a tendency to kind of hold our breath in, <laughs> um, which of course is decreasing the flow of oxygen to your brain, even in a micro level, um, which of course is preventing you from having, you know, the best clarity of thinking. And so when we even just simply remember to exhale, whew, 
right? That helps to bring us to a place of a bit more calm. Um, you know, certainly taking a couple breaths before entering into a conversation you think might be difficult, that's effective. And just remembering that that tool is always at your disposal, right? I can just, I can take a breath. Um, I guess a mantra, since you asked about that, is a, to remember to slow down. Mm. I don't have to respond like instantly just because yeah. <laughs> someone said something or fired something back at me. I, I can just remember to slow down a little bit. Um, and that, again, puts me in that place of choice. Uh, so we had talked about um, uh, we had talked about journaling. We had talked about uh, observation of you know kind of fluid and meta awareness um, in terms of self management with journaling or like building habits on an ongoing basis. I think that's another area um, within self management where if I'm identifying so in self awareness we talked about the mood meter. You know, if it moves over to the self-management space and we're doing this ongoing weekly reflection or monthly reflection, I think that's an opportunity to um, just take inventory of where am I and how did I show up and how can I improve? There's a great line from James Clear who says, you don't rise to the level of goals, you fall to the level of your systems. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about just these routines and habits that you can build... Yeah. In terms of, um, you know, strengthening your emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, that really, I think that really hits the point. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. The, the other piece too is to, um, you know, uh, beyond just reflecting on yourself, but to ask for feedback, um, mm-hmm. you know, help, help, um, open your aperture uh, to how you're showing up in the world by asking a trusted friend or colleague or advisor um, about, you know, let's say you're working on cultivating your self-management skills or competencies. Um, you know, ask ask somebody how they're perceiving you in, in a given moment uh, or in a particular situation. Again, particularly one that's uh, more of a high stakes situation. That's a great idea. Uh, anything else on the topic of self-management to close us out on this episode? No, I would say just, you know, remember to slow down and breathe. Slow down and breathe. Good life lessons. 